Our Bible reading today is from Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for forty-two months. I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for one thousand two hundred and sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, Some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Last time I spoke on the book of Revelation was just a couple of weeks ago, although with all that's happened since then, it now feels like it was in another era. Back then we were able to meet in the church and it felt like quite a normal Sunday. At that time, we looked at Revelation chapters 8 to 11. There, seven trumpets sounded as alarm blasts, warning the terrible consequences of the choices that humanity was making. When God allows those consequences to work towards their inevitable conclusions, the situation becomes dire. Today I want to come back to chapter 11, because there is so much for us to take away from here, and I don't want us to miss things that could really be a help to us. However, I will in no way cover all the details of this passage. It's just not possible in the time that we have available. And I don't want to confuse you in any way. Chapter 7 was the answer to the question posed at the end of chapter 6. Before the final seal is opened, the question was asked, Who then 
can stand? The answer of chapter 7 is those who are sealed by God. Chapter 11 is really the answer to another question that isn't stated but forms in our minds as we read through the vision of the seven trumpets in chapters 8 through to 11. And the question is this, what are those who are sealed supposed to be and to do while the trumpets are sounding? We've been learning that in Revelation, everything is symbolic. And this chapter is particularly full of symbols. Symbols always point to what they signify. The key is working out what they're pointing to. Or, to put it another way, how to interpret the symbol. And we've seen time and time again in our journey through the book of Revelation already that our only sure guide to interpreting the symbols of the book of Revelation is the Old Testament scriptures. John begins chapter 11 with him being given a measuring rod, an ancient equivalent of a tape measure. He's told in verse 1 and 2, to rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Taking the Old Testament as our guide to interpreting this symbol, we can find at least two scenes similar to this. One is in the prophecy of Ezekiel, and the other in the prophecy of Zechariah. In Ezekiel chapters 40 to 43, the prophet follows an angel with a measuring rod in hand, measuring what appears to be the new temple in Jerusalem. We know it's got to be a new temple because just 14 years previous to the vision that Ezekiel was having, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had burnt the old temple to the ground when he had invaded Judah and taken all the people into captivity. Ezekiel's vision is much like a visit to a building site with a building surveyor to check that everything is in order, ensuring that everything is built to the correct size and specification. The temple appears newly built. Everything in this inspection is found to be just as it should be. But the building is totally empty. It's lifeless. It's uninhabited. Now, here's the thing. In Ezekiel's vision, this temple does not come to life when priests and worshippers begin to fill its space. It comes alive with the presence of the one who is worshipped there. It's not worshippers who fill the temple, but the presence of God. In his vision, Ezekiel sees the glory of God coming and filling his temple. It's this that makes the building what it is. It's the place of God's dwelling. The fact that no one else is there doesn't matter because God is in the house. Zechariah chapter 2, the prophet again meets an angel with a measuring rod. This time, the task is to measure Jerusalem. Symbolically, the city of God, the width and length of the city of God, its entire 
area is then to come under the protection of God. I will be to her a wall of fire all round, declares the Lord in Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 9. I will be the glory in her midst. Now, jumping forwards and following the same images into the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and following, perhaps best brings these two ideas together for us. There, the Apostle Paul says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So I wonder if you got that. God's new temple is now the church, not as in a building, but as in the people of God. People made holy by Jesus so that they can be inhabited by his Holy Spirit. So he can actually live in them, marked and measured out so they come under the protection of God. The temple the altar, and now the people. God with us, wherever we are. That's one of the encouraging messages of verses 1 to 3 of Revelation chapter 11. And I I wonder if these words have a new significance for us just now. The temple, the church of God, is not a place but a people. You know, at this time when we've been forced out of our church building by COVID-19 and everything that's going on, we've got to remember this. The church of God is not a place, but a people. That's the temple. That's where God dwells. And the same was true when God when John was writing. The temple of Jerusalem uh, lay in ruins, destroyed by Romans in AD 70. The temple, the great symbol of Jewish faith, had been emptied in every sense. When the city of Jerusalem was retaken by the Roman army, as they put down the Jewish rebellion, the commander of the army, the then General Titus, later to become Emperor Titus boldly strode into the Holy of Holies, uh, the forbidden space at the heart of the temple. There, as he looked around, he demanded to know where the God who the Jews worshipped actually was. But even then, the temple of God was no longer a place but a people. Jesus had changed everything. And as God's people, we come under God's protection. Like God's people through the ages, that doesn't mean that we're going to have an easy time of it. No, we still have to face all kinds of pressures and threats. But ultimately, God protects all those who live within the boundaries of his presence. Ultimately, he stays with all who live within his limits. As we move on through Revelation chapter 11, hold on to this picture of the new temple of God. 
and look again. Now, it's the same but different. We're getting used to that in the book of Revelation. We'll see one thing and then look again and see something different. Now, John sees two olive trees and two lampstands standing in the presence of God. Again, the link here is to the prophet Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 4, Zechariah sees two olive trees, one on either side of a lampstand. Between them is a complicated arrangement of tubes and a bowl, ensuring a never-ending supply of olive oil to keep these lamps burning. The lamp stand that Zechariah sees is just like the lampstand that was in the holy place in the temple of God at Jerusalem. That lampstand was kept alight day and night by priests, symbolising God's continual presence with his people. In Zechariah, the oil-supplying olive trees are identified as the political and the priestly leaders of God's people. Zerubbabel, the governor, is one of them, and Joshua, the high priest, is the other one. A reminder that godly governance together with godly worship is a powerful combination. And that's got to be one that we continually pray for and seek to work out in our own church community. But there's also another link to lampstands much nearer to hand. Do you remember Revelation chapter 1 where at the start of the vision John sees in verse 13 seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands one like the Son of Man. Remember there that the risen Lord explains to him that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So why are there only two lampstands when we get here to chapter 11? Well, do you remember those letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3? Seven letters to seven churches. Only the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia were found in those letters to be totally faithful. Only a faithful witness like Joshua and Zerubbabel keeps the flame of God's presence burning in a dark world. Only a faithful witness like Moses has the power of God to turn water to blood or to strike nations with plagues. Only faithful witnesses like Elijah have the power to shut the sky and stop rain from falling. Only faithful witnesses point the world to God and the terrible consequences of continuing to ignore him. I want you to notice for a moment what the uh, witnesses are wearing. Do you see in verse 3 it says that they're clothed in sackcloth? Sackcloth? It's not exactly a fashion statement, is it? Again, like most things in the book of Revelation, it's a symbol. Sackcloth is the traditional clothing of an Old Testament prophet. Why? Well, I think it's because sackcloth itself was symbolic of repentance. It's like having to say, sorry, I was wrong. I know I hurt you. Please, please let me try again. That's neither pretty nor comfortable. The witnesses call people to repentance by themselves living a life of repentance. That's why they're dressed in sackcloth. The faithful people of God 
those people who are his witnesses are a repentant and repenting people. Surely, of all people, we know just how much we've messed up. And we know how much we continue to do that. We know what we need to have put right and we must own up to that. Because, you see, unrepentant people have got nothing to say. The unrepentant church loses its ability to share God's message and his presence with the world because the lights have gone out. Not the lights in a building, but the lights in the scattered lives of all God's people. Let's be sure that we don't let that happen. We can only call others to repentance if we ourselves repent, if we ourselves recognise just how often we fail to follow God's way and his instructions, if we ourselves ask him to forgive us. We must be a repentant people, always finding ourselves back at the foot of the cross of Jesus, even while we invite other people to join us there. So often people outside the church get this completely wrong about Christians. They think that somehow we're trying to say that we're better than them. That is so not the case. We're just a people who've been shown the way out of a huge predicament we're all in. Sinners saved by God's grace in Jesus to bear witness to the one who has saved us and who wants to save the world. So often though the world doesn't really want to hear. It doesn't really want to listen. But it isn't the world who attacks the witnesses in verse 7, but the beast, the enemy of God. The devil opposes God's work and his purposes in every way possible. He cannot defeat God, because God has already defeated death and sin and all the works of the devil through the cross of Jesus. So instead he attacks the people of God, And so often as here, it seems he's successful. Look at verses 7 and 8. The witnesses are killed. Their bodies lie broken in the street, sneered at by the whole world. Not for long. After just a short time, three and a half days, God brings what seems to be dead back to life. And then he goes on to enfold them in his presence. Come up here, he says in verse 12. And they went up to heaven in a cloud. That's the story of the church that you're part of if you know Jesus today. We bear witness to God in the great city of verse 8. That's an Old Testament way of referring to the age-long ambition of humanity to go it alone without God. Do you remember the Tower of Babel way back in Genesis chapter 11? That was the first great city, and it's the model for every great city ever since. We can do it, proclaims the great city. We don't need God, says the great city. We, the people of God, bear witness to God in the world of the great city. We're a repentant people with a message of repentance. We are attacked by Satan and often seemingly defeated, only to rise again, filled with God's life-giving breath, the Holy Spirit. 
faithful witnesses don't have an easy message to share. It's a message often rejected and resisted in the great city. But the message of Revelation in the face of all that is, keep sharing. Faithful witnesses won't have an easy time. They can often face persecution and sometimes even death. But the message of Revelation is this, stay faithful. God is on the throne. God is in control. God waits, restraining his judgment, giving time for people to understand the message of his witnesses. And the earthquake in chapter 11, verse 13, proves just that. It says this, at the hour, at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, those exact proportions are completely reversed. The prophets Joel and Isaiah speak of judgments where nine-tenths are destroyed while one-tenth is preserved. Here, in God's great mercy, only one-tenth falls so that nine-tenths can come to their senses and give glory to the God of heaven. The judgment of history, the consequence of going alone without God, all the bad stuff happening now and through all the ages, all these things are meant to draw people back to God in repentance and faith before it's too late, before it's too late for them to make that choice. Maybe especially now in this current crisis, we see that. God is continuing to call people everywhere to repentance and to faith in him. As the scriptures remind us, judgment starts at the household of God, the people of God, the church, us. We are called to be a faithful people. We are called to be his witnesses. Are we people who bear witness to the wonder of knowing God in Jesus? The great future that he has in store for us? Are we really people who know that we need to ask for forgiveness, stop heading in our own direction, and instead choose to walk in God's ways every day, accompanied always by his presence? I pray that you may know this to be true this week, wherever you are. Whatever circumstances you face, may you be able to witness to God's love, his care, his eternal provision for you and for us in Jesus, in the midst of everything that's going on. Before we know it, the final trumpet will sound and loud voices in heaven will proclaim what they proclaim in verse 15 of Revelation 11. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign for ever and ever. Amen. May God bless you as you seek to understand his word and apply it to your life.